The Ambitious Mum Podcast. Different women, different lives, different ambitions. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and every week I'll be having honest conversations about ambition. It's one of those weird things where you've got to like walk this line, allowing yourself to be ambitious and to hold yourself to a standard that brings you joy. Motherhood. Mothers were the shock absorbers for the pandemic. We can't be just the shock absorbers. We've got to nourish ourselves in some way. And everything in between. We'll explore how their ambitions and careers have evolved while being a parent. And I'll be digging deep, acknowledging the taboos, the sacrifices and the sheer grit and perseverance working mums don't talk about. How can we talk to that inner critic and understand it's trying to protect you? Hi everyone, welcome back to The Ambitious Mum. I'm Kate Moore Youssef. I'm so happy to be back. This week's episode for me was an absolute joy to record and the lady who I spoke to during this conversation is Dr Georgina Green. I don't think she wants me to call her Dr Green throughout this so I'm just going to refer back to her as Georgina or George and I came across George as a book coach and it's so interesting to hear that there's such a thing as a book coach but she is a doctor because she's got a PhD. She's an very, very academic. She's gone through Oxford, through, she probably could have every single sort of educational accolade going. But what she's chosen to do is coach women, mothers, to write the book of their dreams, to write the book that has been sat within them, or to stir up the creativity that has been lying dormant for quite a long time. And as you all probably resonate with, when you've had children, a lot of our dreams and ambitions get put to one side for a little while sometimes it stirs up the creativity even more we birth a child and then we birth a lot more creativity but then tiredness kicks in and routine and all the different things that we are expected to do as mothers but eventually we kind of shed that skin a little bit and we reclaim our identity and often this identity's changed a little bit we become a bit braver we become a little bit I guess we we don't really care as much what people think. And there's a lot of women out there that are itching to write books and to use this in their imagination. And, And perhaps all these late night feeds and early morning starts have given us the opportunity to hone in on those imagination skills that we didn't think we had. She's created incredible community of women over lockdown who have been supporting each other and empowering each other to sit down and be accountability buddies to actually sit and write that book. So she takes them through that whole journey of having the idea and churning out the pages and and getting the books published. So I absolutely loved talking to George. She was so insightful and I have to say she's definitely inspired me a little bit as well. This is for the the budding writers out there, the, the women or the men who feel that they may have a book burning within them and maybe they needed that little push to tip them over the edge. So here is the, the conversation and I would love to know what you think. Dr Georgina, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and being here and I, and I'm excited to have an opportunity for you to tell your story and to tell us your journey into where you started and now what you do. So can you tell us why you have a doctor, why there's a doctor before your name because you're not a medical doctor are you? No, <laughs> yeah um I mean, poetry can be therapeutic, but my doctorate is in English literature and language. So, yeah, I studied English as an undergraduate at Oxford and I basically didn't want to leave. Loved the city, loved learning, loved being. I spent all my time reading books and thinking about ideas. And so I carried on and just carried on basically as far as you can go in getting qualifications related to literature. So I did my master's and I did a PhD. On my PhD, I wrote the first draft of my book, which is about democracy and the role of the writer um, in the 1790s. So quite a kind of niche (laughs) area. (laughs) What inspired you to write specifically about the 1790s? Oh, it's one of those things where you just kind of in academia, you sort of you start off broad so my undergraduate you know we did everything we did like from Beowulf right up to you know 
20th century writers and you just gradually are kind of forced down a path so then you do a master's and my master's was on like 19th century 18th and 19th century writers and it sort of started just like 1780 um and within that I just became quite fascinated with the French Revolution and the impact of that on literature and so then when it came to applying for funding for a PhD kind of conceived this project about the democracy and looking at the 1790s because that was what I'd done in my master's I just focused on the French Revolution which is in the you know 1790s so it's very funny how that you can kind of end up going down a path without really knowing where it's going to end but it's a fascinating decade and just so many parallels with things that are happening now with in terms of the idea of democracy and the idea of culture and things like Brexit even and things like that I was learning loads of like political theory about you know what is the people what what do the Mm. people mean when we talk about we the people in democracy but I was doing it through a lens of literature so I was looking at like what poets like Wordsworth and Coleridge and writers like Mary Wollstonecraft, feminist, and philosophers like Godwin, what they were thinking about who are the people at the time, and that kind of, yeah. Wow. So <laughs> you're saying that you could really relate to what was going on then with what's going on now. And I guess you mentioned about feminism, and we'll get mm. to the reason why I want to talk a little bit about why you're so interested in working with women. But what kind of correlates with, I guess, the feminism from then and what you're seeing now is there any similarities oh it's so fascinating you asked that actually because one of the one of the my kind of heroines or heroes is mary wollstonecraft um who's like one of the earliest feminists and she is also the mother of mary shelley who wrote frankenstein people might know her from that and lost her life in childbirth amazing philosopher in her own right also wrote novels but she was just like a very unconventional character in that she kind of had uh, children out of wedlock and she had affairs you know she wasn't sticking within the norms of society and just wrote just so so groundbreaking feminist treaties on the rights of women at a time when women had like zero rights and she was doing that in response to all this stuff about the rights of men that was coming out about democracy you know like broadening the franchise for men and she's kind of coming in and going what about women but I wouldn't say that it was a direct route. You can't, like, I would never have guessed from doing that research on that area that I would end up working with mothers who write and helping them to find their creativity. And yet there is a synergy because Mary Wollstonecraft, like, one of the things she was talking about is, like, women should have the right to have an intellectual life and women have value to bring to these public discussions about democracy. It is so fascinating because you think we would have come so far <laughs> from then when you say you know that era it feels like such a long time ago but the fact that we're still having conversations about women and their identity and leaning into our power and um, owning this femininity and all these different things and you kind of think oh my god we should be taking it for granted now and it's still the forefront of conversations it's still you know in this podcast I spend a lot of time talking about women using their voice and using their creativity and their strengths and leaning into their guts and you know it's still not there like where there's still a lot of women who are shying away from the power that they have and this is why I wanted to speak to you because I was so fascinated clearly your background in academia is very very impressive and I didn't know this when I got in touch with you at the beginning. Um, and I probably would have been a bit intimidated had I known, you know, all of this I'm background. Not, but what I was scary. <laughs> you're not scary. I know you and you're not scary. But what you do now, you describe yourself as a writer and a book coach. Mm-hmm. And you listen, I'm a coach myself, but I'm very aware of the word coach. And it's kind of you can be coached in absolutely everything now. But what I find interesting is that you are working pretty much only with women. I know there's a few men mm-hmm. and, and most of these women are mothers. And from my personal experience, know that when you become a mother, I think for a few years, you are it's like you're in shell shock, literally, you're sleep deprived. I think you go inwards a little bit, you're in protective mode, you just, all it is is about sleep, feeding, looking after babies. 
And I think you do lose yourself a little bit, unless you consciously are choosing not to go down that route. I know I did. I know I literally just went into mother's own and everything else was kind of parked for a few years. And then as I had more kids, I kind of leaned into more of that creativity that I knew that was there. Different things came up and I different businesses and different projects that I worked on. I was very specific that I wanted to use this sort of creativity that I knew that was within me. But you, you have a community of women, mostly mothers. And, and I love this. It's called the Calliope's Writers. And this is a community of women that you help, you nurture them through their, is this right, through their book writing process. Mm-hmm. How have you noticed, especially since the pandemic, what have you noticed this shift in women wanting to kind of hone in on their creativity or recognize mm-hmm. that there's something within them? What's happened over this past year or so that's made you create this community? For me personally, I'd been working as a book coach for a while when things kicked off with the pandemic and kind of quietly nursing my own ambition as a writer as well and like kind of reclaiming time. And my my youngest son was due to start school in September after the pandemic. I'd literally just signed him up to start doing more time at nursery. So for the first time for me, I was, you know, my youngest son was going to be in childcare for most of the week. I was thinking I'm going to have finally have this time that I've been craving that's been so hard won for the last eight years and then the pandemic hit and they shut the schools overnight I was in a worse situation than ever having kind of been clinging on for like this mark when my children were both in childcare and I was also like aware of other women who were in the same position and I just suddenly I felt this kind of I've got to do something about this. Like women can't just bear the brunt of this without any thought for nurturing themselves through it. Before that, I've been kind of like moving around, like who is who do I help? And like, do I have a mission? And not and just being, you know, I do this work because I love words and I love books. But then with the pandemic and just seeing how women who had been carving out tiny amounts of time to create suddenly lost all their childcare. And I know men write and men lost childcare as well, but I do think this disproportionately affected women. And I think the stats yeah. will back me up on that. Absolutely. Um, kind of really lit a fire under me. And I just thought I want to support women through this. So I created this community, Calliope's Writers, and I just started interviewing a few mothers that I knew that wrote about what they think they would want in terms of support. And we just created the community, really. And People have been joining steadily since, and it's, it's not a huge community, it's a very intimate community, but what I'm seeing is we went into a sort of bit of a survival mode when the pandemic started, and I think I read there was an amazing article, in, um, I think it was in the New Yorker, which said that like mothers were the shock absorbers for the pandemic. Mm, yeah. And that's what I felt was happening. And in Calliope's, I just wanted to bring some kind of encouragement to keep trying to hold the flame alight of that creativity because I just felt that otherwise basically it isn't fair and also we just if we can't be just the shock absorbers we've got to nourish ourselves in some way and I felt there were loads of writing communities out there but the special needs of mothers and the special difficulties of mothers to justify writing when you know there may be those children might need you and the special needs of mothers to like find time for it. Mm. I just felt was worth gathering that group together so that we could inspire each other. Yeah. I mean, I talk a lot about self-care and self-love and self-compassion and you can kind of look at that as like maybe exercise and meditation and breathing and all the things I do talk about a lot, but honing into creativity or restricting Mm. yourself from being creative. So if you have got that within you and you're restricting it and you're suppressing it, it's catastrophic because it is a form of nurturing. It is a form of self-care. And if you aren't into all the other types of self-care, but you are creative and artistic and you're able to express yourself like your true authentic self, that can help prevent depression, anxiety. It's key for mental health. And maybe we don't talk about it enough. So just to give you a little bit of a backstory. So when I had my fourth child, she was about one, I felt creatively depleted, like really, really did. I felt like there was Mm. just nothing in my life. 
I just had this kind of moment of inspiration where I woke up in the night. I have this a little bit when I wake up in the night, I have like moments of inspiration. And the thing that I heard in my head was, you need to, this is very random, by the way, (laughs) you need to create succulent arrangements in vintage teapots and tea things. So maybe, you know, subconsciously I'd been on Pinterest and I'd seen, and it was about four or five years ago. So succulents were like really trendy. They were just emerging. It was all over the American magazines, interior magazines and, and everything. And they weren't that big in the UK. And I woke up the next morning, I was like, oh my God, I have a creative outlet. So immediately I found a succulent you know, I was going to say dealer. No, not dealer. That's not the right <laughs> word, but like <laughs> a succulent. A source um, of succulents. A source. Yeah, I like exactly. The, and they, I like the alliteration. <laughs> a source of succulents. Exactly. <laughs> and, and they just so happened to be like half an hour down the motorway. You know, they could have been anywhere. It could have been oh. Cornwall. It could have been anywhere. And it was half an hour down the motorway. Two absolutely charming, gorgeous men who helped me <laughs> and gave, and they loved the idea and they gave me everything cost price. Um, And it it combined my absolute passion for rummaging around in charity shops for like 70s pottery and Mm. all random stuff that I would just fill with my house if I could. And so within no joke a week, I'd come home with a huge um, vat of different succulents. I'd basically cleared out all the charity shops in my area (laughs) <laughs> and my back room was now a succulent and pottery warehouse. And I did that. And I did this for two or three years. I went to the markets. Wow. I sold I sold it for birthdays. I went to restaurants. I made a little business. Mm. And I absolutely loved it. It filled me up. I had four kids driving me mad. <laughs> Um, and it was my respite. I would go into the office in the evening. Mm. I, was, I stopped watching TV and I would just plant, plant, plant and listen to music and podcasts. And it was like my, it was definitely like my spiritual awakening because yeah. it filled me up from a place I hadn't had before. And that's when I recognized that I had been depleted of my creativity and how much I needed it. And I changed. I literally changed overnight. I became Mm. nicer to live with, easier around my kids because I had another focus going on. Um, My husband and I had something else to talk about. Like he was so impressed that I kind of (laughs) combined this like little entrepreneurial idea with creativity. And listen, it didn't pay the mortgage, but it definitely gave me an outlet Mm. where um, I was busy. And so my very long winded point (laughs) is, is that I think maybe we don't know that we're creatively depleted until Mm. we tap back into that. You know, we might have written maybe when we were kids, we might have written a diary, or we might have been like one of those kids that wrote amazing imaginative stories at school. Mm. And then life happens, kids happen, and then it's gone. Do you see a lot of women that come to you very low in confidence and self-belief and kind of almost like with an imposter syndrome, like who am I to be here calling myself a writer? Yes, absolutely. And that is one of the difficulties. It's kind of getting people to join the group, like in joining the group, you are already kind of saying, yes, I am a mother who writes and I want to make time and space and energy for it. And so there is always like, if you've arrived here, you've already started your journey, like by by kind of signing up, you're doing that. Um, And imposter syndrome is huge. Like I don't think I've ever met a writer who hasn't said they've got some kind of imposter syndrome but um they kind of the attitude in Calliope's is basically anyone's welcome we've got people in there who are like best-selling novelists and we've got people who've never written anything or they've written a blog occasionally um but the what draws us together is we all kind of feel that writing is what makes us feel like like ourselves and when Mm. we don't do it and we're discovering maybe we've only just discovered that when we make time for writing we get that feeling that you got with the succulents we get we, we kind of like feel like we find our mojo a bit <laughs> we like yeah. you know all the things that wear you down as a mother like the mundane quality of like constantly preparing food and like the mummy 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 and like never having any space yourself when you realise creativity is important to you, it kind of gives you a reason to create a boundary that is like, mm. I am a mother, yes, and that's really important, but I'm also this. And so that you kind of your family, 
you can kind of hold them both without feeling like quite so resentful sometimes, you know. Yeah. I mean, I know with this last lockdown that we've had, even with being aware of all this, I found it incredibly tough to be, you know, homeschooling for like eight weeks or whatever it was. And that last week, you start to get like real maternal rage. You know, that that mm. feeling that you get when you're like, I cannot stand if anyone asked me one more snack. Yes. I'm not even joking I'm leaving <laughs> you know and it's like yeah. but it's a real thing like you've reached burnout as a mother and so I 100%. think creativity is this last even this second lockdown has even more told me you know like I just have to make space for this because for myself I'm not going to descend to saying it makes me a better mother because actually that's not the reason to do it but it does make me a better mother as well but you need to do it for yourself and so what we do in the group is the whole philosophy is like, what are some tiny things so that it's doable for everybody? Like some people write a thousand words every day and write, you know, they're very well established with the writing practice and they've managed to carve out a lot of time for it. But there's been times for me with home educating when the hour co-writing that we do on a Sunday evening in Calliopus is the only thing I do with my writing, but it's just enough. Like that one hour a week keeps me in touch with that. So we do things like that and like, I'll do like a prompt to like write write a haiku about what's going on at the moment or I'll put up like 200 words of a short story and, and snip it so that you're just sort of giving yourself some nourishment to that creative part of yourself through the group. Yeah. Can I ask, what's the backstory behind the name of Calliope's? I'm sure there is one with your background. It was a very poor strategic decision because no one knows how to, <laughs> no one knows how to pronounce it. But you know, when you're just like, I've you know, been a book coach for a while and learning all what you're meant to do with marketing and stuff. But this just felt like something different. I just thought, I just want to do something that to me is beautiful and like a beautiful word. And it may not make sense because people don't know what it means and don't know how to spell it. But this idea of, so Calliope was one of the, I'm going to say Greek, it was a while since I chose his name, but I think Greek muses. I think she was the eldest of the muses and Greek muses are all about inspiring poetry inspiring art right and um all about I think her name means something like beautiful voice and historically muses have been something like it's been like a female figure who appears to a male and allows them to create but I was you know kind of reclaiming like the idea of like that we we're kind of our own muses so Calliope is like our muse she's the muse of the group the writers the mothers and Calliope the muse was a mother herself as well so it's almost just like this idea of the group is meant to be an inspiration to the members and the members are meant to inspire each other so we're all like our own inspiration our own muses and so I just chose her and there was just something about the imagery of having this kind of presiding figure he's almost like a goddess coming over us I just love that like feminine energy and like reclaiming that I love that we've come round now full circle and I don't know huge amounts of detail about this but I know we had a matriarchy thousands of years ago and then we had Mm. the patriarchy and we're feeling the effects of hopefully the patriarchy sort of waning away a little bit now which is hence the reason why we're, we're all kind of wanting to step into our power a little bit more and funny enough, I'm, uh, as I talk to you, I'm looking at a book that's right in front of me that I've, has been on my bookshelf for so long. And it's Women Who Run With Wolves. I don't know if you've oh, read yeah. it. Fantastic. Um, yeah. And it says, contacting the power of the wild woman. Mm. And I feel that we are in this new era of women. Maybe it is the start of a matriarchy that's sort of starting all over again, where women are collaborating together and supporting and empowering each other. And there's, there's so many other of support. You know, you're doing a, a writer's group women Mm. supporting each other and helping but there's I see like with well-being groups and you know I do EFT and and tapping and there's lots of women doing these running them supporting other women who are going through these things and and it's almost feeling like the norm that women should be just collaborating and working together and that's why I love doing this podcast because um, I purposefully choose women who are supporting other women and their mission or their job or whatever they do is making sure that they are helping to lift up other women whether that's through their well-being their careers their mental health creativity whatever that is even though you're there 
helping them with their writing. Do you find that this group is also quite a strong emotional support? I'm sure there's lots of women going Mm. through many different incarnations in their life and different stages. Do you find that knowing that they have each other, it helps them along the process? I think so. And, you know, people have said, people in the group commonly saying things like that. And the other thing is I take quite a holistic approach to writing which is something that's evolved like you know I very much started off as quite learning learning about story structure and learning about you know um the analytical side you know the kind of heady side of writing like um learning the principles I suppose but as I've grown as a coach and reflected and reflected I've realized that that is like the one side it's like the yang I think of it as the masculine side um Mm. if you want to get into like a gender binary but the other side is the side that we need to nourish just as much which is the side where we cultivate self-trust intuition because self-trust allows us to listen to our intuition like you with the succulents and the dreaming in the night and just going I'm going to go with that you know um (laughs) And so, I think that was impulsivity more than anything, but <laughs> yeah. And like, so basically, increasingly, what we're discussing whilst we're talking about writing and when using that as it's like a placeholder for holding place for yourself, we find ourselves talking about over and over is self compassion. And that just seems to be the root of everything. And so much of the dogma in the writing world is very masculine. It's very much, you know, stoic. Hemingway talked about sitting at the typewriter and bleeding. And there are people who talk about, you know, you you should face the wall with your typewriter so that you're not distracted by the world. And, you know, the idea of like the solitary genius, they don't have any caring responsibilities. They can just go off and be isolated and focus on the world. And like that, the mythology around writing and the dogmas around, you know, write every day and treat it like work and... All of those things I find very masculine, very patriarchal, actually very capitalist in a funny way, considering it's art that we're talking about. In our group, it's kind of, I'm constantly pushing against that a little bit, saying, let's try and find the joy in this process. Let's try not measuring. Let's try not measuring how many words we're doing and just trusting that the book will emerge in its own time as things grow organically. So we're kind of, moving out of that like managing a project thing about writing the book into um kind of listening to what the book wants to be listening to what your inner voice is and kind of putting on the page through compassion and um we I'm very much a fan of meditating and there's writers in there who talk about using tarot to to plan their books and to get into their characters most of the writers in there are fiction writers and we're often talking about connecting to characters through very kind of feminine ways of rather than like coming out from our head, we're coming out from like mm. the senses in the heart. And so, yeah, um, I've completely forgotten the question. But <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's fascinating because I'm thinking like, as you say that, I mean, for me, I get my ideas when I'm walking, when if I'm walking outside in nature and I'm with the dog and I haven't, and I've purposely chosen not to listen to, you know, a podcast or something. Sometimes when I'm listening to music, I'll get the the Mm. ideas, but a lot of the time it's when I've just got space just to think and normally it comes out in nature and what you're saying then is almost like just stepping up your head isn't it it's like that Mm. we're taking away that cerebral of how and when and and I've got to do this and the words and I've got to make sure the kids are out the house and that's Mm -hmm. the only time I'm going to be able to do it do you ever have women who are probably out and about walking or working whatever and they use the voice notes on their phone and Mm. they come up with an idea because that's when I yeah I mean I don't write fiction but when I get an idea for um something pathetic like an Instagram reel or or maybe a blog post or something then I'll just record it into my voice notes because if I don't it's gone it's like you know that is exactly what I do (laughs) that is it yeah that's how I that's how I write and I always get my best ideas when when I'm walking and often I'm walking with the kids I don't always have to do on my own because you know, getting the kids outdoors is like the best way I find to stop them from killing each other. So, yes. so you know, we get out, and if it's a nice day and they're running ahead on the path, my my mind will wander in 
and I'll find myself making connections. And if I've got a blog post, particularly, because I tend to procrastinate with blog posts, <laughs> I can knock it out if I just go for a walk and just talk it into my dictaphone and then come back and type it up and edit. I have guest speakers come in. The very first one I had was Handa Truscott, who supports mothers, not as a writer, but just like supporting them with their well-being. And she came in and did a workshop on rest and like how okay. to rest. And that's kind of like typifies the approach in there. It was interesting because she was talking about, you know, not meditating, just literally just lying down for a little bit. And then one of our members was saying how for her, like she just, she needs to move. And she's found actually um, running has been just the best thing for her mental health and her creativity. And like when she doesn't run, she doesn't write. I very much encourage everyone in the group and all the people I coach one-to-one as well to just pay attention, like what works for you and just try to remember what works for you when you're feeling stuck and think, oh, you know, I've stopped running, haven't I? Or I could go for a walk. (laughs) That might help. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's joining the dots, isn't it? It's It's, different for everyone. Like for some people, it is is having a rest. And some people, it's going for a really energetic run. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. What was the name of the lady that you, Handa Truscott? Nahanda Truscott. Nahanda. Yeah. Okay. I'll have a a look at that because I think that's a very powerful thing to teach someone. And it seems Mm. so ridiculous. But as mothers, resting equals shame like you're lazy like what you're doing you've got stuff to do like this inner voice just tells you I mean the thought of lying down on my bed in the middle of the day just to have a little rest sounds so indulgently luxurious that I just (laughs) would lie there going you've got this to do you've got that to do and I'd lie there for about five minutes and I'd be so restless because I would hear that inner voice but if I go for a walk I don't have that. Yeah. But other people might be like, well, of course I can't go for a a walk. I've got loads of emails, but they might just kind of be like, I just need to close my eyes for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it is exactly that. It's just do what works for you. That is not going to cause that inner critic to jump up and prevent you from leaning into that creativity. And what I'd love to know is if someone's listening now and their brain's going a little bit and an idea's sort of sparked of, you know, maybe I could start writing, but I've got no time. How do you help women make time to, I know you mentioned about on a Sunday evening and you all, do you all sit together and write uh, sort of on Zoom or something, all on mute. How do you make time for something that is not part of your day-to-day life already? Yeah, this is, this is the million dollar question, isn't it, for mothers particularly. So I basically say start small and that's one of the reasons I started the co-writing group so the idea behind that was just one hour a day is enough to keep you in touch with the intention to write with the characters that are in your head and it's enough to almost keep them waiting in the wings as you reorganize your life so that you can make more time for writing um and what we do in that session I, I deliberately made it one hour a week because you feel like if you can say to someone realistically in seven days a week, there should be one hour you can spend writing is so much easier than to say, this is one of the dogmas that I kind of have a real problem with because even though, yeah, it would be great if you can write every day, it can give you this all or nothing thing. Like if I can't write every day, then I won't write at all. It's kind of a heretical idea that you could write just one hour a week and it would be valuable and it is valuable. Um, So yeah, we've got this, Sunday co-writing session it's it's obviously I'm in the UK so it's the evening in the UK um but we do have people come in from the states there's a lot of people from the states in the group basically an hour and a half total first 15 minutes we just sort of drop in and sort of catch up you know there's usually about six five or six of us so yeah we talk for like 10 minutes and the last five minutes as we approach the top of the hour I say (laughs) because trying to talk across time zones I do like um a visualization where we just try to ground ourselves in the present and I change it a little bit every week but the basic principle is grounding ourselves in our present and then kind of finding the way into our writing for that day pulling our attention back to the present and then shifting it into the text that we want to create that day so um because quite often when we arrive in the group we've been juggling motherhood balls all day 
and we need to bring all those, <laughs> you know, just be able to put them down. So that, that meditation yeah. really helps. And then we all turn off our mics and we just write and um, write for a full hour. And I encourage people to sort of have an intention to hold that writing sacred. So like for me, it's, I won't pick up my phone in that hour. And I do what I call intuitive writing during that hour, which means because I have a tendency to get very in my head because, you know, I've got developmental editing skills and I can get very in my head and want to like plan and outline. And But actually, I know that the real magic happens when I just get very quiet and very still and just play with the character and just let it come out without trying to force it or plan it. So I hold that hour sacred for it's almost like automatic writing. But you don't have to use it for that. A lot of people are like in the middle of writing a novel and they're just, you know, chugging through drafting and they know exactly what scene they've got to do. Um, and so, yeah, so everyone's at different stages and you can bring whatever, like we've got one one uh, member who doesn't actually write, but she writes songs. So she oh, comes wow. in and writes a song during that hour. Amazing. And um, at the end, we just, we just have another chat. <laughs> I was like, how did it go? And recently the chats have been becoming like really deep really fast and we're like talking about points of craft or own voices and just all these issues that people are kind of coming up against with their writing and self-trust self-doubt so yeah that meeting on a Sunday night is lovely it doesn't suit everybody's schedule but there's something there's something quite luxurious about spending Sunday night instead of making pat lunches and or actually Mm. I do the pat lunches before the session (laughs) but you know it's like reclaiming the weekend like the weekend goes on a bit longer and you're making that space on a Sunday night for writing and it's just it's almost like a surprise hit I struggle with being consistent and like doing things week in week out and I've been doing this week in week out for a, for quite a long time now and it's amazing how once something becomes a practice like the fact that you're turning up with other people I don't know why it works but it somehow makes it easier to hold that space yeah, you've got the accountability, haven't you? Yeah. And and I think it does work. I mean, there's a term called body doubling, yes. um, which helps a lot of people who are sort of like either, um, you know, ADHD or dyslexic, or you just struggle to be able to sort of sit down. And it's literally just sort of that knowing that you've got that other person there just helps. Yeah. It's like that supportive energy, isn't it? it so really is. that's clearly why it is working. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review or a rating to help us reach even more ambitious mums and get the content out there. Thanks so much. I'd love to write a non-fiction book. A fiction of me, I don't think would go. (laughs) Non-fiction, I love, absolutely love writing. And one day I hope that it does happen. But I have this block in my head that if it's not published, Mm -hmm. it's a failure. Mm -hmm. So I could write a whole book and then it might not get published. And then for me, it would just be, I wouldn't care about the content. This is something I need to get over Mm -hmm. and I want to get over. How do you work with women who are writing just, I mean, do women just come to write for the pure joy or is there ambition there that they want to become a published author? How do you manage that? I do find there's usually ambition. There is usually ambition. And like, even if it's not an ambition to, it might just be an ambition to be read. Like most people write because they want someone to read it. Uh, And most people write and they want to write well Mm. and they want to master something. And I do feel like it's one of those weird things where you've got like walk this line, allowing yourself to be ambitious and to hold yourself to a standard that brings you joy. I think that's that's how I like look for that. Like, and that is different for everybody. You know, for some people, the standard that brings them joy is being able to self-publish it to a few friends and maybe their grandkids read it. That's what my mum does. She, she does like, she she publishes basically for her grandkids and self-publishes. Oh, how gorgeous. That is a standard of writing that brings her joy. For other people, the standard that will bring them joy is to be accepted for publication in a short story anthology. And for other people, they need an agent, top five publisher, and that is that is what they're going for. And, you know, you can totally go for that. But having said all that, for me, it's all about discerning what is going to be a kind of 
something that's actually going to stop you from trying. If that standard is going to be so, you're going to feel like you're a failure if you don't meet that standard. That makes trying very risky. Yeah, it does. And I think there will be other women out there going, I'm so terrified of failure. I'm just not going to start because I'd rather not be ridiculed. I'd rather not. Or, or I guess there's probably a lot of secret writing yeah, um, yes. where women are, yeah, women are writing in secret until they are, have got that validation. They're kind of doing it because they kind of have to, like a part of them feels like themselves when they write. But at the same time, there's this ambition to to be to reach a level of mastery to to achieve and you know it's it's it isn't there isn't like a simple like oh you must let go of all that but it's just it's trying to work out you know how can you make it safe for yourself to try and Mm. and so that you don't lose the value of the process itself because you didn't try because you were afraid of failing um and that's why I've recently um been um studying with a woman called Sass Peverick, who's um, a self-belief researcher and coach. She's like a master coach. She started an academy um, where she's training people in her method of helping people with self-doubt. And so I I basically saw that self-doubt, imposter syndrome, inner critic, like it's come up in this conversation. It's it's almost like the way we talk about writing is you can't mm. can't avoid saying the inner critic. Um imposter syndrome, it just comes up immediately. Um so yeah, as a coach, I was like, I need more tools to to be able to deal with that. So I've been training with her, and um, the basic the basic idea behind the whole thing, and it's all evidence based, is um, how can you make it safe to try, and that that inner critic and that person, that voice inside you, that part of you that's like, oh, you you don't belong here. Is this really safe? Is it safe to try? What if you fail? What if you get rejected? What if you get criticized? What if you get judged? All those big, the big psychological risks that we take when we do anything, and we definitely, when we write and put it out there, um, how can we kind of just basically talk to that, talk to that inner critic and understand it's trying to protect you? And therefore, you can start to listen to it. It's safe to like actually listen to what that inner critic is saying and distinguish where have they come from, understand them, have compassion for them, and then bring what we call the healthy self. The the healthy self is that voice that kind of... Is it soul-led? Yes, it it might be. You might think of it as soul-led. It's the self that knows that basically nothing that bad is going to happen. The bit of you that isn't still in this kind of fight or flight mode is the bit of you that's there when you meditate and you observe your wandered. The bit that's observed that your mind has wandered, I think of that as the healthy self. It's like the observing, calm, inner awareness, in a mentor, the one that doesn't, that acts in a, has discernment and knows what to trust and what not to trust, and just you know, and can hold your boundaries. That self needs to almost come into come into discussion with the bit of you that's saying this isn't good enough, what if you fail, you shouldn't try because you might fail, you know, um, you don't belong here, you're not really a writer. And get in, and start to get into conversation between the two because the healthy self can kind of reassure that self, it's okay, we'll be mm. okay. You know, yes, we might get rejected, but we can deal with it, like we can cope. Yeah. It's honing a skill on its own, isn't it, mm. of being able to, um, it's like fine-tuning, sort of like, bringing the noise level of the inner critic down and bringing up like what you call the healthy self um, and also recognizing that to have awareness of who's talking and what's real, what That's isn't real. It. And self-awareness. And yeah. knowing, yeah. And it's knowing that what is really, really going to happen, like what's what terrible thing is going to happen. Like you say that mm-hmm. this fight or flight mode where um, historically or anthropologically or whatever yeah. way you want to describe it is that we aren't going to get eaten by a, a wolf or a bear. <laughs> we may get ridiculed or judged. And that's, our body doesn't really know the difference, does no. it? I mean, ridicule and judgment is terrifying. And anyone that puts themselves out there has to accept that they are putting themselves on a platform to possibly be ridiculed or judged. I mean, when I started this podcast, 
I swear to God, I was like, everyone's going to laugh at me. Everyone's going to think this is a joke. My husband's going to think, you know, what are you doing? I recognise that there was a childhood thing of my dad and my brother. I mean, God, I love them, but they used to gang up on me and laugh at me. Mm. And I knew, and they kind of take the, yeah, family banter at my expense. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, I was always kind of like the ditzy, the airhead, the one that would just running around in the garden, like my head in the clouds. But in my head, I still thought, OK, people are going to think what she got to say for herself, like what's she going to talk about? Why does she want to do this? This is embarrassing. And it's taken me a really long time to know that what I'm putting out here is valuable. It's like valuable stuff for other people. And once I got out of my own ego of Mm. this isn't actually about me like I know that my guests are bringing value to a lot of the listeners and really helping them and and helping them understand themselves better and and I guess you're facilitating this as well it's almost like self-healing yeah so yes they're coming to you to write a book but actually there's a huge amount of resilience building self-healing it's probably a very beneficial process for anyone to go through whether they're writing a book or not. I mean, you know, I spoke about my book, my PhD book, (laughs) The Majesty of the People. And um, when I wrote the acknowledgements for that, you write the acknowledgements last, obviously. And I just suddenly realised, you know, like all the way through writing a book like that, especially when it's in that kind of academic context where it is very goal-driven, like you're doing this to get a PhD, you're doing this to get a job, you're doing this to get whatever all the way through it you're kind of like looking at that finish line looking at that finish line and then when I wrote the acknowledgements I just suddenly had this moment of like oh and it's such a cliche but it's been about the journey it's such a cliche but it's true Mm. you know it's especially because I then went on to realize I didn't actually want to be in academia (laughs) anymore and so I still don't regret writing that book because it was just like an amazing experience of like learning resilience, of learning about myself, of stretching myself. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of inner work I can imagine. Um, but I do think that the craft is basically, that is the easy bit. It's the the self-managing self-doubt, finding resilience, persisting, creating boundaries around your own time and your energy. And that's the stuff that really makes it Yeah. I wonder if this is something where it's never going to be perfect and knowing when to finish and when to just say, right, I've given everything I've got to this project, to this book. I can keep tweaking it for years and years, but it's Mm. all a lesson in there's no such thing as perfection. And, you know, whether or not a book reviewer will tear it apart or give it five stars, you could probably always find a way to keep tweaking it. So, yeah. Is that helpful for women to also know that it doesn't have to be perfect? Yeah. And the other thing is about writing a book is often the only books that we've read are finished books. Like I read a lot of raw manuscripts. I read a, read a lot of like partial first drafts, but most people have never read an early draft of a novel. And so you're comparing when you start writing a novel or start writing a nonfiction book, you're comparing your first draft to something that's been through probably at least four actual drafts, then editing, if it's a traditionally published book by your editor, then copy editing to make sure you catch all the little mistakes and grammatical. And you're comparing your first draft to that. And sort of, so I think one of the things that writing a book teaches you is that you're going to let go of it at some point and it's not going to be perfect. But the, the main point in the process where that's crucial is the first draft because once you've got a first draft you can polish it and you can kind of like get a little bit perfectionistic but you won't get to the end of a first draft if you're doing that as you go along it really teaches you that and um allowing it to be good enough especially that first draft yeah that's it and that's just lesson for life isn't it good enough it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you I feel like I've learned loads and I really hope this has inspired anyone that's listening that has been sort of teetering on the edge of picking up the pen or you know laptop or whatever it is and just start somewhere because you just don't know can you tell people how they can find you how how can people join the group how do you work with people 
I mean, the best thing is just to join the group because that's where I hang out. <laughs> if you want to work with me one-to-one, -one, it's best to join the group first anyway to find out if we get on. So the group is www.calliopes, which is spelled C-A-L-L-I-O-P-E-S, calliopeswriters.com. If you go to that page, it will just tell you all about the mission, why we're gathering there. It's completely free, the sorts of things we do in there. If it's for you, you could just click join. Um, it's hosted on a platform called Mighty Networks, which is designed to be not another social media noise. Okay. I chose it because I didn't want another addiction. Social media is a massive thief of time for writers. It's really like a small little group of friends. Yeah, you can just join it in there. And like, uh, my, the best thing to do is to download the app to your phone, the Mighty Networks app, and then you can use it like when you're breastfeeding or like, you know, like use it in those little snippets of time to just check in. And at the moment, we're just about to start going through a group, a circle where we go through the artist way by Julia Cameron together. Yeah. Um, okay. We, we do all those kinds of things together. And like the artist way thing was a member suggested that. So we did it. Yeah. Oh, that's iconic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, honestly, thank you so much. And um, yeah, and I hope people get in touch with you and I hope people yeah. come and join the group. And after this, uh, you know, you never know, there might be a few published authors. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks to this conversation. I really hope so anyway. Yeah. It's been an absolute joy. So thank you so much, Dr. Georgina Green. Thank so that's this week's episode done. I really hope you've enjoyed it and it's helped you in some small way. I listen to loads of podcasts and I've learned so much along my journey and now know I'm a real auditory learner. And if you're the same and you're often inspired by listening to thought-provoking conversations, please don't underestimate the power in sharing it to ensure other people can also be inspired. Not only does this help your friends, but it also lets the host know how beneficial the episode has been to them. It's such a quick thing to recommend a podcast on your social media, but it means the world to us and helps more like-minded people join in the conversation. So simply screenshot your phone and share the image of this podcast by text or on your social media to someone you think who needs to hear it. And the power of a recommendation really does work and creates a ripple effect for all those involved. Also, I've got a Facebook group called the Ambitious Mums Wellbeing and Lifestyle Chat. And my aim is to create a safe space to discuss any of the topics that have been mentioned in the episodes moving forwards. I'd really love to see you there. Thank you so much for listening and see you back here for the next episode. Mm -hmm.